Plan family, I want to say thank you for joining us on this Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week. And we know that when we look at Scripture, there are so many events that take place during Holy Week. It begins with the triumphant entry. It goes to the washing of the disciples' feet. It goes to the Last Supper. Then we see Jesus going to the garden to pray. We see the betrayal and the denial of Christ. We see Jesus taken in front of the Sanhedrins. We see the whole trial before Pontius Pilate. Jesus is then beaten, put on a cross, put in a grave. And then this coming Sunday, we will celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a holy week in which we saw very unholy acts of humanity done to the Son of God. I love what the Greeks and the Romans used to write about in their liturgy, that they called it the Great Week. And the reason they called it the Great Week was because this was the greatest act of God that he had done for humanity. And I want to just say this. We're going to look at a different passage today. We're not looking at the typical Palm Sunday passage, which is the triumphant entry. I want us to really go into Holy Week, the Great Week, by looking at a very similar scenario that we had seen when we first started the sermon series. When we began the sermon series, we began with the baptism of Christ, where we saw the Trinitarian act of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all in one scenario. And I believe there is a passage, like many scholars, that reveals the same Trinitarian act that was taking place at the baptism that occurred right before the final chapter of Christ's life. And it was a transfiguration. And this is what I want to point out today. Just as the baptism was Christ's ministry inauguration, the transfiguration was the revelation of empowerment to fulfill the ultimate act of God. And so today, we want to come and see the transfiguration of Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, I ask you that you would allow us to look at this passage of Scripture to see the, the beginning of the end of Christ's earthly life. And that we would see a moment that just like the baptism, that, that you, the fullness of God, were at work. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would we be able to step into Holy Week this, this year as looking at it as the greatest week of humanity? Because your work, Father, was fully accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. It says here, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he, Peter, spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and, and fell face down on the ground. 
Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, this is what Jesus said to them. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So let me give you an important background to this passage. Right before this passage occurred, there were two significant conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. So if you were to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, you're going to see two different occurrences. First is when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter makes the declaration. He says simply this, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. All of the disciples recognized who Jesus was, and Peter spoke up as a voice of the disciples. But then right after this, this is what happens. Jesus tells the disciples about the death in which he was going to endure. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells the words of Jesus of prophetically telling the disciples that he was going to have to die, but in his death, he would be raised back to life. And so in Matthew chapter 16, you have these two defining moments. One, the recognition of who Jesus is by the disciples, but then two, Jesus telling of what was to come. And so it's really as if Jesus was setting the disciples up for the final chapter of his life and ministry. And all of a sudden, you see that there's this, this six-day gap, six days, that it just, everything went silent. We don't hear of any teachings. We don't hear of any miraculous acts. And, and you wonder if there was almost like a silence between Jesus and the disciples. A lot of questioning, a lot of concerns, and possibly even a lot of confusion. But now we pick up this passage and Jesus goes up to the mountains. Now, why did Jesus go up to the mountains? We see in the Old Testament that, that certain individuals would go to the mountain to seek God. And we see in the Gospels that Jesus would go to the mountains to pray, to be with the Father. And what we find out very interesting about this time when Jesus went to the mountains, and this was not the only time, but there are other times that Jesus would take his inner circle. The, I like to call them the apostles to the apostles, Peter, James, and John with him. And, and this was known by the apostles. We don't know if there's any conflict with it, with it or, or any jealousy, but, but we know this, that those three were the ones that Jesus brought into certain moments. And there was a moment that was about to occur that he wanted witnesses. He wanted Peter, James, and John to be present as they went up to the mountains to seek the Father together. And the Father was about to do something in that moment that Jesus needed these three to experience. And so as Jesus is praying, as Jesus is seeking the Father, it says in verse 2 that Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. 
If you have your Bible, just underline that word transformed. This word transformed in the Greek is the same word that we use for metamorphosis. Now think about the word metamorphosis. What comes to mind? For me, it's the transformation from the caterpillar to the butterfly. We, have, we cannot fully explain what happens from a caterpillar who crawls on the ground and just seems like this very interesting creature, one moment transforms into this beautiful creature that's able to soar, that no longer crawls on its belly, but now soars. But there was this internal transformation that occurs in the caterpillar that turns the caterpillar into a butterfly. And so as Jesus was praying, there was something supernatural taking place in Jesus. That as the presence of God, the Holy Spirit was within Jesus, there was a transformation, something was happening, a revelation of empowerment was occurring that was being seen by Peter, James, and John. Now, I find this very, very fascinating that whenever the epistles write about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, they use the same word that Matthew uses when he talks about the transfiguration that was taking place in Jesus' life. Think about this. Romans 12. Be metamorphosed. Be transformed. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, we are being metamorphosed. We are being transformed. And as much as the disciples were, were watching something occurring outwardly, right, the butterfly, something was taking place internally in Jesus that was happening. And I really believe, like, as, as believers, as Bible-believing believers, there's certain mysteries that we will never be able to fully comprehend and maybe fully explain. But what we know this is that something was occurring in Jesus that when the apostles wrote about in the epistles, they talk about a work of the Holy Spirit that happens in our lives too. A mystery. A mystery. And as Jesus is praying and as the, 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 these disciples, Peter, James, and John, are, are watching this occurrence, all of a sudden two visitors show up. Moses and Elijah appeared and they began talking with Jesus. There was a conversation happening between Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And it was something that Peter, James, and John were privy to. We have no idea what the conversation was, but they were talking. They were communing together. Now, what makes these two so significant? They were just mere mortals that had died and now were present with Jesus in the glory of God. When we talk about Jesus fulfilling everything, we see two things. First, that he came to fulfill the law. Moses represents the law of God. But he was also the greatest prophet. And Elijah, a prophet of God, represents the prophets. And so you have the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the original covenant coming together in this moment to reveal the fulfillment of the final and greatest covenant that Jesus would accomplish, the law 
and the prophet were present with the Son of God. I also find it very interesting that these were two individuals that repeatedly would go to the mountains to seek God. They were two individuals who fasted for 40 days just like Jesus had done. And so just as Moses and Elijah would, would go to the mountains and, and seek God, as Jesus went to the mountain again, seeking the Father, these two show up, the very two who represent the law of God and the prophets of God, who were fulfilled in the Son of God, who was Jesus. And there's this moment and in this moment, Peter, James, and John were, were called to be privy to it. They were called to witness to it. And I would even say, maybe I'm pushing this a little far, we're supposed to hear the conversations between the three. And this is where Peter, and this is where us, often miss the point. You ever be in a conversation and go, you just missed the point of everything I was saying. You missed what I was trying to communicate. You missed what was happening. You, you missed the moment because you got too into yourself. And so this is what we see with Peter. He's, he misses the point. Peter speaks up. Lord, it's, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. I'll make one for Moses. I'll make one for Elijah. And I'll make one for you. And, and I think what we have to realize is that in Peter's excitement, two things occurred. First, he pulled a Peter. He talked at a turn. He allowed his emotions he allowed his excitement to run ahead of him. And he wanted to be a part of it. Now, for me, I can understand that. I used to pull a Peter all the time, and I've learned to temper that. But I remember when I was a, a young Christian, I was pulling Peters all the time. I'm a highly emotional man, as you all know. But I also think that I want to be fair to Peter. Because Peter came from a very hospitable culture. And so for Peter, he's thinking, hey, I want to serve you. I want to do something for you to make, them, make you all feel very special. Think about the idea of Mary and Martha. Isn't that what Martha did with Jesus? As Mary was sitting next to Jesus, Martha's like, hey, we need to make food. We need to, we need to be hospitable. We want everyone to feel welcomed. And so as much as Peter was just being overly emotional and excited, I believe that he was also being hospitable, part of his culture. And so there's this whole thing that's playing out. And all of a sudden, something occurs. The presence of God in the form of a cloud shows up. And the voice of God speaks up. Verse 5, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Now, remember I said this whole idea, the correlation between the baptism and the transfiguration? Right before Jesus' ministry began, Jesus, in obedience, went into the waters of baptism. And when he came out of the water, the presence of God revealed itself in the form of a dove. And then the voice of God spoke from heaven, affirming Jesus. The very same words that the Father used at the baptism are the very same words that he uses at the transfiguration. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Son, you've done everything I've asked. 
And next what was going to happen is Jesus was going to have to go through the final chapter. This is where I believe that, that this moment between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is so significant. In the beginning of the ministry with the baptism, before the final chapters of transfiguration. But I love, in a funny way, how God rebukes Peter. Listen to him. God says, listen to him. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Peter, be quiet. Listen to what's taking place in front of you. Listen to the conversation between Moses and Elijah. When you get off the mountain, listen to him. He's going to prepare you. Stop and listen to Jesus. I believe that's in all of our lives. We need to stop pulling Peters and start listening to the words of Jesus. And so there's this moment. But I love that when the voice of God spoke, that the glory of God was revealed. The word glory is, is said in Hebrew as kavod. The overwhelming majesty of God appeared. Humanity has never been able to stand in the presence of God. Humanity has never been able to see the face of God. And whenever God revealed himself, he would reveal himself either by cloud, by wind, or by fire. And so when we look at the Old Testament, we see with Moses that, that God allowed the presence, the glory, the kavod of God to lead them by day in the form of a cloud. And we also see with the Ark of the Covenant that where, where the Ark was, the glory, the kavod of God hovered over the Ark being the very presence of God. And again, we come back to the Trinity. We see the voice of the Father. We see the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we see the Son of God all in the same place. And so often we wrestle with that. We don't know how to explain it, but Matthew to the Jewish people is saying, God at creation, who is all there together, is there with Christ being revealed through Christ. And so when I look at this idea of the transfiguration, and I think about Holy Week, I think about the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, beginning with the baptism, which sent Jesus out to teach, proclaim, heal, and deliver. There was a moment where something supernatural was taking place at the baptism that I believe took place at the transfiguration. And I know we begin Holy Week always with the triumphant entry. But I want us to begin this Holy Week recognizing that we are going to experience through Scripture the greatest week of all humanity because the greatest act of God was accomplished. And in order for the greatest act of God to be accomplished, there was a moment that the Father was having with Jesus was both a revelation and an empowerment to what was to come. And so I want to give you three takeaways. First, it's all about what was happening with Jesus. 
that the transfiguration empowered and revealed who Jesus is at the final chapter of his earthly life. You get to chapter 17, and all of a sudden you open the door to the final chapter of everything that was going to unfold. And this transfiguration was a revelation to the disciples and an empowerment through the Holy Spirit to accomplish that final chapter. I find it very interesting how Jesus said to the disciples, don't tell anyone what you just saw until I have died and been risen from the grave. Don't tell anyone what just happened on the mountain. When you go down there, don't tell the others what occurred. But when I have been resurrected from the grave, that's when you're going to proclaim. Because you saw a glimpse of glory. You saw a revelation of what's going to come. And so we see both a revelation and an empowerment for the final chapter for the greatest act of God. But then there's two other things that I want to point out. I see that when the, when the disciples were in the presence of the living God, the kavad, the glory of God, they fell down in fear and terror. Go back and read that, the beginning of, of, this, of this passage. They fell down in fear and terror. But you were in the presence of God. We cannot stand in the presence of God. We are unworthy to be in the presence of God. But watch what Jesus does in verse 7. Jesus came over and touched them. He reached down and he touched them, all three of them, and he said, get up. Don't be afraid. Yes, we are unworthy to be in the presence of God. But because of Jesus, we are made worthy. We are made worthy to be in the presence of God. One day, Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. But also this, for all those who are in Christ, Jesus will say, get up, stand up, because I've made you worthy to the Father. I am your advocate. I am the one that makes you worthy before the Father, because I have taken on everything that separated you from him. I've taken on to redeem you before the Father. People, we do not have to fear God because Christ has made us worthy. But I want to leave you with one final lesson. A future lesson. That when we look at the transfiguration that, that teaches us about a present and a future reality. First, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life is begun. We are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
by the same presence that lived in Jesus on his earthly life, the same presence that was at his baptism, the same presence that when he taught, the same presence when he proclaimed, the same presence when he healed, the same presence when he delivered, the same presence at the transfiguration, the same presence that empowered him to go all the way through all the brutality, the same presence that led him through death is the same presence that is at work in us. We are being transformed. When we are in Christ, we are new creations. We are no longer the caterpillar. We are being transformed into the butterfly that God has called us to be. But it doesn't stop there. Because there's a future reality. Philippians 3, 20, 21. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Moses and Elijah, they were mortals. And yet, they were brought into the glory, the kavod of God. When we pass, we are in the presence of Jesus. We are being transformed into the likeness that we are able to stand before the Father, just as Moses and Elijah in the presence of Jesus were doing. There is so much more to this life than the present realities. But it's in our present reality that as we are in Christ, Christ is transforming us through the power of his Holy Spirit that prepares us for the future glory. That our broken bodies, our broken mortalities, all the things about us will one day be made perfect in the presence of God. That's why Holy Week is the greatest week of humanity. Because Christ took on the burden of sin and death for us that we could stand before the Father perfect and blameless because of Jesus. I want us to go into this closing song as a song of celebration, a song of, of admiration, a song of being in the presence of the kavod, the glory of God in His majesty, saying thank you for the work that you have done for us. Let's worship together. Plan family, let me just close in prayer. Jesus, we enter into Holy Week. Understanding that Holy Week was the greatest week for humanity. Where through you, God accomplished his greatest work. We ask you, that we would go to the mountains. We would find that space to meet with you. To prepare us. Prepare our hearts for what you want to speak to us this week. About yourself. But also, that we would meet with the living God. We would go to the Father. Because of you. Because of your work, we would receive the Spirit of God that brings transformation. 
So God, we enter into this week thankful and grateful for all that you've done through Jesus Christ. Amen. Plant family, know this. We are praying with you and we're praying for you. Have a great week.